Hello and welcome into another episode of the Watlingless Owen Show here on a Monday. It's August 1st. You know what that means is it heats up. So does the trade deadline. We'll talk about that today with uh, some interesting moves going on earlier today. Josh Hader heading over to San Diego. We'll talk about that. Uh, some guys staying put. Shohei Otani uh, will not be going anywhere. He'll be staying in L.A. We'll talk about that. Of course, the Yankees making a couple of moves. The Mets as well. Go out and get Tyler Naquin before the weekend. We'll talk about both the Yankees and the Mets, what else they need to do to kind of solidify themselves as the you know postseason run heats up. Seems like both teams will be headed for the postseason, but the question is, you know, how far will they be able to go when they get there? We'll, we'll break all that down, and we'll also, of course, break down the biggest news from today, and we'll start there, and that's Deshaun Watson uh, handed down a six-game suspension that was, of course, decided by a disciplinary officer, Sue L. Robinson, uh, kind of an independent person uh, that was put in between the NFLPA and the NFL. Uh, and Watson has been handed down a six-game suspension after 20-plus women. I believe the number was all the way up to uh, 25. It, it, one case was dropped. It was around 24. But uh, either way, over 20 cases, of course, of uh, sexual misconduct were alleged against Deshaun Watson, the now Browns quarterback, uh, formerly of the Houston Texans. Some of them have been settled outside of court. Uh, including three actually last week. The NFL was pushing for an indefinite suspension or a lifetime ban for Deshaun Watson. Then it came out earlier today before this that possibly it was going to be 12 games and a heavy fine uh, was what the NFL was trying to settle with. But Watson and company did not want to settle. They, from the jump, said he was innocent, uh, did not want him to be suspended. He gets six games. And look, it's it's obviously a touchy subject. And I've voiced my opinion. Matt has voiced his opinion on the show. Something happened, right? I'm sorry, but 20 plus people from you know different backgrounds, uh, coming from different places, don't all conjoin. You know, they don't all join up and say, "Okay, let's all screw over this one guy." Like that doesn't happen. And what also doesn't happen is one guy doesn't need whatever it was, 60 massage therapists in two years or whatever the crazy number was when Deshaun Watson was in Houston. So, you know, gun to my head, I think Deshaun Watson did something heinous. I think he did something wrong. And six games feels extremely light. It feels like a real slap to the face of the victims. It feels like something that, uh, unfortunately, you know, is is less of a suspension than a guy like Kelvin Ridley got, who got a one-year suspension for participating in gambling. You know, Josh Josh Gordon was suspended like 25-plus games for, you know, smoking weed, essentially. Uh, the Tom Brady to Flategate suspension is, is right up there. Uh, so... It's crazy the length of games. And obviously, the people on the other side of this argument who I it, – it's one of those arguments you don't even want to acknowledge the other side, but there is another side, and that argument is, well, there's rules against gambling. There's rules against you know tampering with a football. There, there's these set rules. It's like, okay, why are there not rules for you know issues – surrounding men treating women and football players and how they treat women because we've seen this time and time again where guys you know whether it be a physical assault a sexual assault anything like that seem to get away with it especially in the nfl and you know ben roethlisberger got six games but not to of course minimize it that was one case and one night with one woman and that, that was awful as well and big ben probably should have been suspended for longer but he gets six games and the fact that Deshaun Watson might have, you know, sexually assaulted or sexually harassed over 20 women only gets six games. It, it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm, I'm not sure what 
the NFL can do. I know they can appeal the suspension, of course. They can try to get more games. Um, I don't think Goodell can just come down and say, okay, he's done. We don't care. Uh, because the NFLPA is a pretty strong, uh, it is a pretty strong PA. So they're an association that would not let that fly. Of course, they they went for the zero games and you want to, you know, meet in the middle. But I think it's just a shame that this is how it ends up. It's a shame to the victims. It's a shame uh, to the victims, you know, lawyers who have put in a lot of time uh, into this case. Of course, you know, the arguments, oh, well, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a criminal charge. You know how hard it is to get a criminal conviction? It's so hard, especially when you're going against a man like Deshaun Watson with a lot of power, with a lot of money, uh, a lot of lawyers, you know, on his side. And meanwhile, you have these massage therapists who, yes, you know, they were able to get some good representation, luckily, but, you know, they're, they're, the odds were stacked against them from the beginning. And I think it's unfortunate. It felt like maybe we were going to get, you know, a year, two year suspension type of thing. But the fact that he only gets six games, no fine. It's troubling. It really is. And, and it stinks because this is going to make people say, oh, well, he must have been innocent. You know, they weren't willing to put down the hammer. Well, no, he obviously did something wrong. If there was nothing wrong that Deshaun Watson did, he would have got zero games. But he got six games, which means something was wrong. And if something was wrong, I tend to believe that there was a lot that was wrong. Because if you believe, you know, even a handful of, of these women, you have to think that the rest of them are, are also telling the truth. And it's it's embarrassing to be honest, uh, sometimes to be a fan of the NFL because a guy like Sean Watson gets six games, um, you know, whereas a guy that smokes weed is, you know, his career is essentially ruined, you know, in the case of Josh Gordon. So, yes, it's hard to compare because, you know, there is certain things that you are not allowed to do as an NFL player. And, you know, Ridley obviously did something. Gordon did something that was technically against the rules. But, this just is on a whole nother level. So it, it's hard for me to even put into words. It's it's upsetting. It's troubling for sure. And I mean, the NFL just has to do a better job. I, I don't know how they do it because the, the thing with the NFL is they have so much power and so much influence that even if something like this bothers you, of course, it bothers me. Like I said, you know, people are still going to watch. People are still going to go to games. And, you know, Deshaun Watson received a standing ovation at, at Brown's camp today. Like it's sickening. It really is. And you know, I've wrestled with the idea a lot, you know, if the Bills need really needed a quarterback, if they were a franchise like the Browns, which they were for a long time until recently, and, you know, they land a guy like Deshaun Watson, you know, how do you react as a fan? Are you excited for the football player or are you upset about the person? And, and the more I think about this, I really would just be upset with the person because at the end of the day, your quarterback should be representing your franchise. They should be the face of it. You know, the Bills are lucky. They've got a guy in Josh Allen who, you know, is the face of you know, a lot of charities, he's in the community, things like that. Um, but it's it's really tough to have a franchise quarterback that is this troublesome and that you have to, you know, battle every Sunday. Am I how can I root for this guy? It's 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 like with the Yankees with Domingo Herman. I directly root against him. I hope he gets shelled every single game. And I wish the Yankees would have cut weight with him the first time. But for Deshaun Watson, it's, it's an even crazier thing because he gets a, not only traded to the Browns for for quite the haul. He immediately signs a huge contract with a huge signing bonus, and he'll be keeping every dollar. I mean, he's settled with a few women, but for the most part, he's not getting fined. He's not going to have to go up that big signing bonus. It's it's insane to me. It really is that this guy who has done such represent uh, reprehensible things, uh, in my opinion, and again, I'm going to have people coming out and saying, you don't know, you weren't there, and all that, but I tend to believe that when 20-plus women come together and share the same or similar stories, I tend to believe them. 
I tend to believe them. So uh, I just, it's really tough for, for me. And if I'm a Browns fan, man, it's, you're in the worst spot, right? I mean, you want your team to be good, but at the end of the day, I cannot sit there and actively root for a guy like Deshaun Watson on my team. So it's unfortunate. We'll see if the NFL uh, has a say, can, can do anything about it. But at the end of the day, uh, really, really disappointing day. And a, and a really just the worst day to go on Twitter, honestly, with the way that people react. It's like, I don't know, believe what you want. But if you parade this guy around like he's like he's the victim of the story, it's it's insane. You know what? If this was the case, if it was this, you know, quote unquote, easy for everyone to band together against one person, then Deshaun Watson would not be the only person getting allegations against him. And, you know, if even if he thought, you know, this was something that was consensual in his eyes, it's still still something that he needs to deal with. And it's upsetting that not at one, you know, not one single time did he apologize. Um, not one single time did he admit, you know, any wrongdoing or anything like that. All he did was deny, deny, deny. And then guess what? He ended up paying out some settlements. So if you're completely innocent, why pay out any of the victims? You know, why? I understand he's got more money than any of us can ever dream of. But to me, that says something. It's upsetting, like I said. Um, and we'll see what other details uh, come out. But I will be booing merc- mercilessly. That's the word uh, when the Browns come to Buffalo in November. We'll move on. It's always tough to move on from something as tough as that. But I do want to talk some Yankees today because it was quite the weekend. It really was. I mean, uh, Thursday night began the series with the Royals, a one nothing walk-off win, of course, off the bat of Aaron Judge. Then Friday night, they get the 11-5 win where it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous almost at this point. Um, what Aaron judge has, has become for this franchise. He hits the grand slam. He robs a home run in that 11 to five win. Uh, the Yankees went eight to two on Saturday. And then yesterday, uh, a bit of a, a troublesome game for the Yankees. Uh, Jordan Montgomery really struggled, uh, especially in the fifth inning where he allowed four runs. Uh, and he finished with four innings, four earned runs, uh, six strikeouts. And he really struggled. Uh, the Yankees did not win a single Jordan Montgomery start in the month of July. And of course, some of that is run support, but some of that also is, you know, in the last two outings, one against the Royals, one against the Mets, he really did struggle. Um, and then the Yankees were able to come back, but then Clay Holmes uh, blew the save. He allowed, of course, the big three run home run to Salvador Perez and the Yankees. They did take three or four from the Royals, which you can't be too mad about, but it's kind of the way that things happened where you really need to put this team under a microscope. And first and foremost, I, I want to talk about, and I have to talk about Aaron Judge because. You know, after struggling against Max Scherzer, you know, 0 for 5, uh, I believe he struck out four times in that game. You know, it was kind of like, okay, you know, maybe he's cooling down or, or I don't know if it's the, the pitching matchup wasn't favorable to him. I'm not sure. But that, that was a tough, tough two games for the Yankees. And, you know, say what you want. The rivalry to me is fun. I think it's really fun to have those two games, you know, in July and then two more games coming in August where – the whole city kind of rallies around, right? There, there's a buzz in the crowd. There's a lot of people there. Um, and I think that makes it really enjoyable as a fan. Um, you know, losses against the Mets, for me personally, they definitely sting more just having, you know, friends and, you know, people close to me that are Mets fans. Of course, it's going to be more upsetting. But overall, it kind of felt like the Astros' two games where the Yankees lost were really when you play against good teams. And, and the Astros and Mets cases, I would say great teams. The Astros are the the number one, number two 
contender in the AL. It's the Yankees and the Astros and then everybody else. And then the Mets are the same in the NL. I think it's Mets, Dodgers, and then everybody else. The Braves a tick below the Mets, but other than that, it really feels like it's the Mets and the Dodgers. But when you lose all four of those games, you really have to put the microscope on your team. And it starts with the pitching for the Yankees. They struggled. Jordan Montgomery struggled against the Mets, and then he struggled again against the Royals. The bullpen, you know, you lose Michael King. You're already down Zach, Zach Burton and Chad Green. Uh, Roller Chapman, he's been a little bit better lately, but he's not going to be a closer that you can really rely on. Ron Marinaccio has kind of come into his own, but he's a rookie. You know, you don't have a lot of great pieces. So that really was highlighted in these two series. You know, what can you do to address the bullpen? And the Yankees did address the bullpen today. They went out and got uh, the Cubs rookie reliever, Scott Efros, who I'm pretty excited for. I am. He's, he's pitched 44 innings this year, 266. ERA, 4-1 to strikeout to walk ratio, uh, a 2-19 FIP, and he's 10th, which is 10th in baseball uh, among pitchers that have pitched more than 40 innings. The thing I like about him, first of all, a lot of control left, a lot of control. He's not going to be afraid until after 2027. So the Yankees like that. Um, His fastball is not the best. It only plays around 90 miles per hour. He's great with location. He's got a nasty slider and a great changeup, and that's what the Yankees like. They want relievers with great sliders. Uh, and good changeups, and that that excites me. You know, Matt Blake can go to work with a guy uh, like Efros, and and I like that. It's a good move for the Yankees. They needed bullpen help. They went out and got it. Now the other side of the coin is starting pitching. You know, Jordan Montgomery struggled. Domingo Herman, I don't think is a guy that's going to be pitching every fifth day, and especially not in the playoffs. You know, you want to get some rest for Nestor Cortez and Jamison Tyone, who haven't pitched full seasons. Luis Severino's on the IL now. So now the question is, you know. Who is it going to be? And Luis Castillo gets dealt uh, earlier in the weekend to the Seattle Mariners. The Yankees will actually see him on Wednesday. It'll be Castillo against Cole at Yankee Stadium. That'll be a fun little Wednesday afternoon matinee. But now the question is, is it Frankie Montas, the stud for the Oakland A's, who the Yankees tried to get this offseason, were unable to. But now, you know, they're a little bit more desperate. Will they unload? Uh, for Montas. And I think you have to go out and get a guy like Frankie Montas. You know, Luis Castillo felt like a strong possibility for the Yankees, but the Mariners go out uh, and end up getting Castillo. Um, there's been other names thrown around, you know, Jose Quintana. I've mentioned him a few times. That feels like a very Yankees move. Go out and get a guy that you can kind of just use for the half year. And then after that, things, you know, it won't really matter. You know, he was a guy that the Pirates kind of just took a flyer on because they needed guys to, to throw innings. He's had a great year. Sure, he's fine. You know, he's a good addition. I compare him a lot to that Lance Lynn addition the Yankees made a few years ago where Lynn wasn't the pitcher he would become, uh, you know, with the White Sox. But he was, you know, he was a decent guy for the Yankees, but he, he was okay. You know, that feels like the, the move the Yankees would make uh, with Jose Quintana. Go out and get a guy that would, you know, help your rotation, throw some innings, but maybe he's not going to be that, you know, elite guy like a, you know, a Garrett Cole or a Luis Castillo or – a Frankie Montas. So that's what I want. I don't think he's to make a splash. Like I like these small moves, you know, they get Ben Benintendi, they need to replace Gallo, but I'd really like to see the Yankees go out and make a Frankie Montas splash, you know, go out and make a big splash in free agency because this team is great. And this team's going to make the playoffs and most likely, or in all likelihood, this team could be the number one seed in the AL and have home field advantage. And that's huge. But in order to beat the Astros, you need everything. You need your, your lineup clicking on all cylinders. You need your pitchers to, to stay you know, in control, which they have against the Astros. They've pitched well against the Astros. But, you know, every single bit helps in the kind of pursuit of a championship. So 
I like what they've done so far. I love if they go out and make a big splash. Who knows? Maybe by the time, you know, tomorrow rolls around, that, that big splash will be made. But I'd love to see the Yankees go out and get a Frankie Montas or someone of that ilk to try to help uh, this starting rotation. And I think that was more on display against the Royals where, you know, Garrett Cole even kind of struggled uh, a little bit when the rain came down and Salvador Perez hit that homer off of him. But, you know, Efros is a great start for that bullpen. He might even be the only piece they get. Um, but pair him with, you know, a starting pitcher. You already got Andrew Benintendi, and then you're kind of rolling uh, for October. And I mentioned at the start, I said I was going to go on my judge rant, but I am being sidetracked. If Aaron Judge walks, if Aaron Judge is not a member of the New York Yankees next year, it is going to hurt immensely. Not only is it going to hurt the Yankees from a team, but it is going to kill their fan base because he is that guy. He is that dude right now for the Yankees. He's the guy that, you know, even in a blowout uh, lead over the Royals, uh, they, they end up winning the game 8-2 to two on Saturday. People don't leave until they watch that last Aaron Judge at bat because every single time, that he steps in the batter's box. We are, you know, all dialed in as a, as a fan base, as a, a baseball fan, because he could do something we've never seen before. And I think that's something the Yankees haven't had. I mean, Derek Jeter, I'm not going to get into the comparison because Derek Jeter is obviously one of the, you know, most iconic, probably Mount Rushmore Yankee, especially in the modern era. And he was fantastic, but the inside-out single isn't quite as exciting as the Aaron Judge. 460, 470, 480 foot moonshot. It's just not. You know, Derek Jeter was great and he won a million, million times with the Yankees. And Aaron Judge isn't going to beat his five championships. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. You'd have to win basically the next, you know, you'd have to win five of the next seven years. It just doesn't happen in the modern game. But he has become this generation's Derek Jeter. And he has become, like I said, almost more appointment television than Derek Jeter just because of the things he does with the bat and the things he does with his glove robbing a home run he plays a great center field he plays a great right field he's got a cannon like he's a superhero he's six seven he's got a rocket on his on his right arm he's got a, a a rocket coming out of his bat like he is that guy and if the Yankees let him walk it's going to be hell and I get it you know you're going to be paying at the end of his contract for a guy that's probably going to be DHing, not going to be hitting as well but if you let him walk you're losing out on, you know, you're not going to lose your fans, right? The Yankees fan base is still going to be there, but you're going to lose me a little bit. You're going to lose a little bit of trust that I have in the Yankees when they bring up a good homegrown guy and let him walk. You're going to lose, you know, some of the ticket for sure, because who's coming to a Royals game on a Saturday afternoon? You've got better things to do. But with Aaron Judge there, they're getting, you know, 40,000 plus people in the building. And I think he that impact he has is enough. For the Yankees to say, we've got to keep him in New York. You know, I'm not saying give him 50 mil, but if you're in a bidding war, you can't get outbid. You really can't. You need to keep this guy and you need to, you know, set that precedent. Like, show this generation of Yankees fans that he's their guy. He's your guy. He's here to stay. And I'm still taking that bet. I said it a few weeks ago. Do you take the one World Series this year or do you bet on Aaron Judge for the next eight years? I'm taking Aaron Judge for the next eight years. What I've seen this year has been the most incredible, the most exciting year of a single player I've ever witnessed. It, it really has been. And every single day he he is jaw-dropping. He is He's incredible. Like, there's no words to describe him. He should win the American League MVP. And if the Yankees let him walk, it's going to be a colossal, colossal failure. You know, obviously, if they get a guy like Juan Soto, it's going to be a little bit easier. But I'll tell you what, if they let him walk and they don't replace him uh, with – 
another top five player, which is virtually impossible. Um, I think the Yankees fan base is going to take a hit, and I think the Yankees would take a huge hit. The Yankees are not 69 and 34 without Aaron Judge. They're just not. They're not. He makes the whole lineup better. He makes the defense better, and obviously his impact with the bat as well. So this team is not where they are right now without Aaron Judge. They've got three games coming up against Seattle. Then they'll head over to St. Louis, then to Seattle, then to Boston uh, for a little road trip. So big three games for the Yankees against uh, a surging Mariners team with a really good rotation. They'll see Gonzalez. Uh, Logan Gilbert's having a fantastic year. And then, as I mentioned, they'll see Luis Castillo on Wednesday. As for the Mets, they keep rolling, rolling, rolling. They swept the Marlins this weekend. Uh, They've now built their NL East lead back up to three games. Uh, They've won six in a row. And I talked from the Yankees' standpoint, you know, Maybe the rivalry doesn't mean as much. I'm not saying that it meant more for the Mets, but it, it just shows the Mets are here to stay. Like they can easily compete with the best of the best. They are up there with the best of the best. And now the question for the Mets is: Do they go out and make some moves? You know, JD Martinez has been a name that's been floated around. Uh, Contreras, uh, Wilson Contreras from the Cubs has been floated around. They've already went out and got Vogel back in Naquin, but it still feels like they need more, right? It still feels like they could use whether it be a big bat like J.D. Martinez, who's he cooled down a little bit, but he is still an all-star, uh, or a big bat in Contreras. I would love to see them go out and get one of those two guys. Uh, the rotation, I, I saw David Peterson pitch yesterday. He looked pretty ready to go. We'll see when the Red Sox – or the, the Red Sox. The Mets call him up. I saw him rehab with Syracuse yesterday. He looked pretty darn good. So they're going to get some help with Jacob Grom tomorrow, it looks like. So happy DeGrom week for the Mets. I mean, this is where it gets fun, right? You got – Scherzer tonight, DeGrom tomorrow against the Nationals. It should be another kind of fatten up uh, yourself series for the Mets before they have five games against the Braves after that. So if you're the Mets, you really want to sweep these three with Scherzer, DeGrom, and Bassett. And then you really got to hone in, of course, on that five-game set with the Braves. But this should be feast week for the Mets. And I'd like to see them make a couple more moves, get a couple bats, maybe go out and get a reliever um, to try to better themselves before the trade deadline. But either way, I mean, I think this Mets team is slightly below the Dodgers right now, but it's hard to say who wins in a seven-game series. Because if you're giving me Scherzer and DeGrom, and they can both pitch twice in a seven-game series, uh, that's good luck, right? Because if they pitch well those those four games and you win four, that's the series. And you also have Chris Bassett, and you also have Taiwan Walker, and you also have Carrasco. You also have Edwin Diaz, who has absolutely locked down the ninth inning and sometimes a couple outs in the eighth. Like this team to me is World Series contender. And if you add those just last couple pieces to solidify yourself, I don't see them losing this division. I know it's only a three game lead. You got a lot of games against the Braves. I, I think they're better than the Braves. I really do. I think they're going to show that at home this weekend. You know, maybe I'll be old takes exposed. We'll see. But I think this is the best team in the NL East and clearly the second best team in the NL. Not scared of the Brewers. I'm not scared of the Cardinals, unless they get Juan Soto. That's a kind of a different story. But I'm not terribly afraid of the Padres, despite a move that they made. We'll talk about in a little bit. I still think this team is the second best team in the NL, and arguably, by the time the playoffs roll around, could be the team to beat if the Grom and Scherzer are both firing on all cylinders. Let's do some odd man rush. We've got about you know six seven minutes left in the show, so we'll run through a few odd man stories. I've got to start with my Buffalo Bills, if you will. Uh, Josh Allen getting in the mix with Jordan Phillips at practice. Didn't like the way that Phillips kind of hit him after the whistle. The Bills were running a QB draw at a training camp, which is kind of interesting. You got to practice how you play, right? But 
I don't know how I feel about Josh Allen taking QB draws at the goal line in training camp without pads. A little scuffle ensues. Look, you'll like to see the feistiness out of Josh Allen. He said, of course, after, you know, we love football. This is this is how we build each other. You know, iron sharp, sharpens iron. I get all that. I'm totally cool with that. But don't love to see your franchise quarterback uh, in the middle of a fight. I saw one Bills player, I don't know who it was to this day, jumped on the pile uh, as everyone was kind of getting in the skirmish. That dude should be cut off the team. Goodbye. Um that you can't do. Just jump into the middle of that pile. But good on the couple of Bills offensive linemen that kind of removed Josh Allen from the situation. Again, you like the feistiness. You like the competitiveness. But at the end of the day, Josh, you got to protect yourself. Um, you got to help this team win football games. We're only a little bit over a month away from spring uh, from spring training, from week one in the NFL. Uh, preseason starts this week, so I'm fired up. Uh, some more NFL news. Some NFC West receivers getting paid. Debo Samuel gets three years, 73.5 mil from the 49ers, and DK Metcalf gets three years, $72 million. So uh, good to see those guys get paid. I really thought that one of these two would be holding out, maybe leaving their team, especially because, you know, DK Metcalf is going to have either Geno Smith or Drew Locke throwing him the ball this year, and then Debo Samuel is going to have um, either – Jimmy G or Trey Lance throwing him the ball or handing him the ball or whatever they're going to have him do on offense this year. Uh, Niners obviously are in a better position than the Seahawks. Um, but Seattle, I don't know, three years, I guess DK, DK gets his money. But you wonder, is he going to be wasting his prime in Seattle where they just do not have a quarterback? But you can you know, switch these things on a dime. They've got a lot of draft picks in the next couple of years from that Russell Wilson trade. They can move up. They can get a quarterback next year or they can trade for – uh, an available quarterback, who knows? So maybe he won't be wasted away in Seattle. Some really sad news, of course, broke over the weekend, and that was uh, Boston Celtics great Bill Russell uh, passing away at the age of 88 peacefully uh, with his wife by his side. Of course, Bill Russell, a guy that, yes, he wins 11 you know, NBA titles, one of the best defenders of all time, but also he was a guy that was you know more than basketball it's a, it's a phrase that's thrown out a lot but he really was a guy that you know whether it be you know civil rights um you know he would he was boycotting uh he boycotted a 1961 exhibition game uh in mississippi because of uh the discrimination that of course goes on in the south uh he called out you know a lot of injustices throughout his life throughout his career and he was like you think about, you know, what players are doing nowadays, and it is obviously heroic and courageous, but thinking about what he had to do back in the 1960s when, you know, racism, still a problem in our country, but was really bubbling over. And the fact that he would, you know, put himself right in the mix, put himself, make himself a voice for the voiceless, you know, eventually becomes the first African-American head, head coach uh, for the Boston Celtics and just an incredible life, an incredible journey for Bill Russell. Um, May he, of course, uh, rest in peace. A couple of baseball stories before we end this show. Big news broke before the podcast started today, and that was Josh Hader going to the San Diego Padres. Uh, kind of a closer swap. Taylor Rogers will go to the Brewers. Josh Hader will go to the Padres. They're also going to add uh, – the Brewers will also add uh, lefty pitching prospect Robert Gasser, uh, outfielder Estuary Ruiz, and right-hander Denelson Lamette, who looked like he was going to be something special when he first came up, but really hasn't figured it out since. Head scratcher. I know a lot of people are saying the Brewers made out pretty well in this deal. People like Gasser, you know, Rogers, comparable lefty. 
Um, he has 28 saves on the year, which is just one behind Hader's 29. But Hader has been the best reliever in baseball the last five years. Rodgers has not. You know, Rodgers is going to be fine for the rest of the year, maybe. But I don't know, man. I don't get it if you're the Brewers. I get it if you're in fourth, fifth place, you know, on the outside looking. And you're in first place in your division right now. You're going to make the playoffs. I don't know why you wouldn't try this thing one more time. He's got one more year of arbitration after this. So you've got him for at least a year and a half. And like I said earlier, I don't think the Brewers are in the same class as the Dodgers and the Mets, but, you know, a couple moves here and there to fix their lineup. They've got one of the best rotations in baseball. They've got a fantastic bullpen, which was previously headlined by Hayter and also Devin Williams. And I just, I don't get it. I don't understand the move there. Like, why not stay in contention, stay in uh, the race and try to see if you can make a run in the playoffs? Because the Dodgers have been the best team in the NL for the last you know, five years and they've won one championship and it was in two, it was in 2020. It was a 60 game season. It counts. I'm not saying it doesn't count, but anything can happen in the playoffs. We saw the Braves going around last year. There's no reason to think the Brewers couldn't do that as well. So I'm disappointed if I'm a Brewers fan today, getting rid of Josh Hader. Last story before we wrap up, the angels are going to keep Shohei Otani, uh, at least for this next year. Of course, the Yankees were in the mix, but the angels will keep him. It's going to be crazy thinking. Years from now that the Angels had both Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and were still unable to win anything. Um, it's really unfortunate. Trout's really banged up right now with back injuries. Uh, Otani's putting up arguably an MVP season. It's going to come down to him and Judge. Um, but he will stay in L.A. Disappointing for baseball fans, but you know, if you're the Angels, there's no reason to trade him yet. He's still got another year on that contract as well. And the Angels, not afraid to dish out money, so I wouldn't be surprised if Otani is stuck there in purgatory long term as well well thank you guys for hanging out with me today on the Watlingless owens solo show might be back tomorrow we'll see depending on how the trade deadline goes if there's anything urgent i will of course hop on give us a like comment subscribe wherever you get your podcast thanks for hanging out and we'll talk to you soon